Hi, everybody. This is Spark My Muse, and today my guest is Heidi Barr. We will be talking about her books, her poetry, uh, her connection with the land, and um, some of the things that have impacted her spiritually. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for your work and for the books that you've put out. My friend Noel Young, who's a supporter of my show and a good friend, would send me poems here and there. And so many came from you that I was like, what is going on? I really feel like you're the the kind of Mary Oliver of our time, of our generation. <laughs> I love your connection to the land and the simplicity of your poems. They're powerful and sparse in words normally. And it's just food for the soul. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you. One good place I like to start is just asking people who are particularly artists and particularly spiritual people, if you will, mm -hmm. what their background was in, in childhood with religious things or spiritual things. What was some of that like for you growing up? Yeah, well, I grew up, um, I come from a long tradition of Lutherans. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my grandparents met at working at a Lutheran Bible camp. Then my parents met working at a Lutheran Bible camp. And guess what? I met my spouse working at a Lutheran Bible camp. <laughs> oh, so yeah. camping ministry has been a huge part of my life. Um, I grew up, so ELCA, Lutheran, kind of the progressive branch there. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I grew, went to church on Sunday, but I think a big part of my spirituality, even growing up, was being outside and just yeah. being in, you know, God's creation. Um, mm -hmm. So that has always been a big player in my my spiritual path is just being immersed in kind of the majesty that is the earth. Yeah, a lot of your poetry reflects that as well as you speak about this in 12 Tiny Things, talking about your own work with the land in communion and relationship with it, but also growing up close to it as well. Was it a farming background? Is that what you would call it, farming background? Yeah, so my dad grew up just on kind of a small family farm in South mm -hmm. Dakota. And then he didn't do conventional farming himself, but my folks grew a lot of vegetables. They did farmer's markets, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and they, um, yeah, so I grew up just gardening, picking raspberries. We had, they had people come out and pick strawberries, kind of a you pick kind of a thing for several mm -hmm. years. Um, and then my twin, I so I have, Three brothers, two of them are twins, and those two have their own organic vegetable farm now. So it's been a kind of a passing on of, of that farming tradition. And I have a big garden as well, but I, I don't do the selling part, so we just grow vegetables for our own, own family. All for your own self, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on. I thought it's such a refreshment to have people on who remind me that I'm organic myself. I'm nature yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. With all of our mediated time that happens through screens and devices and technology, although it's convenient, I think it, it can be very dehumanizing. We can wind up mm -hmm. treating ourselves like machines, treating other people like machines or tools. And right. that whole thing of being out in the aliveness of the world of nature and that's going on regardless if we're paying attention to it or not, yeah. is really a way, in my 
own life to have a kind of homecoming. Mm -hmm. You know, in the same vein, just to mm -hmm. jump in here, there's a poem in my new collection kind of about that. Would this be mm. a good time to, That'd to be share great. that? I love okay. it. So this poem is called Don't Let the Robots Get You Down. And it was inspired by Analog C, which is this really cool offline journal. They just have a very basic website that says, send us a letter and we'll send you our catalog. Mm. Um, so don't let the robots get you down. There is an energy. It's there in the ether, on the ground, running through the soil, nestling deep in the bedrock, settling with the sediment of lakes, washing downstream via small tributaries into the massive veins of rivers that feed the earth's seas. An energy untamed by technology, refusing to be styled into the next profitable product a fringe refusing to be unraveled by life online, an analog sea counterbalancing the digital fray. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah. So much of your poetry does relate to nature and seasons that your book of poetry called Cold Spring Hallelujah, I've been, mm -hmm. for people listening to this, uh, whenever you're listening to this, it's 116 poems. <laughs> and that sounds like a lot until you're reading them and you realize you could take a whole bunch of nuggets or you can work your way slowly through it. And uh, I've been going back over specific ones. I love foxes. I love mm -hmm. your poems about foxes and yeah. the one walking on water. Yeah. Yeah. I was just looking at that one. Yeah. Maybe you could read that one. Sure. Let me find it here in the book. There it is. Yes, we do have a lot of foxes here in, in my little homestead, so it's always fun to see them. All right, so this one is called Walking on Water. One morning this past winter, the fox that claimed ownership of the south-facing hill trotted to the middle of the lake. The ice looked more like a tranquil pool, reflecting and shimmering a fine film of water glossing the surface. And suddenly she was ethereal, floating over water, announcing perhaps Jesus has come back and does again and again. It's just that God wants to experience life in the bodies of all things, from fox to child, to pine bough, to centipede. Who am I to say a fox can't walk on water? some of the animals that are around you, you know, make their way into your poems, like Mary Oliver used to do with going out into nature and kind of waiting for it to speak to her. There are a lot of poems in Cold Spring Hallelujah that are very much about darkness or winter or coldness. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering about some of your work lately or some of your poems lately, do they tend to stick with whatever season that you're in? You know, I tend to be a pretty seasonable, seasonal <laughs> writer. Yeah, I think just because I'm so attuned to what's going on outside. So whatever yeah. is happening out the window or when I go outside, that's what I end up writing about. So this one I wrote last spring around the same time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, pandemic stuff was just starting. Mm. <laughs> uh, but this one is called Interpretations. One spring evening, you set aside the weight of the day 
to take a walk through brown woods, aching to be green. Grandfather maples and adolescent aspen, urgently unfolding tiny buds of promise. A promise you accept and carry gently, an offering to the next one who needs it. When the time is right, when the day is heavy, when the voice of the forest interprets the best way through. Thank you. That's so beautiful. I, I have nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's just perfect. I'm not going to add to it. So on your website, HeidiBarr.com, there's a lot that people can read there um, and get a sense of your work. And on there, I was reading about your relationship to food and some of the some of the um, videos that were on there. And it would be interesting to hear a little bit of your perspective on on how you relate to the natural world, but in terms of also what you eat. You know, growing up, I think where I did and coming from a family where food is important, like food is celebration, food is how we communicate, food is mm. the glue <laughs> that kind of keeps us together. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, I just find a lot of inspiration in how we can use, integrate just the the things of the earth into our own bodies. You know, it's that alchemy of taking these raw ingredients and they become us and then we can do our work in the world. Um, yeah, it can go so many different directions. With <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and with your garden that you have, you are preparing food that's fresh in season and um do you do the whole canning and all of the other ways of yeah using the garden I, food? yeah my folks do a lot of that and then I think I don't know maybe nine or ten years ago um my brother started farming and then we kind of had a re kind of re-upping of of the, the canning extravaganza mm. <laughs> yeah, everybody'd come to my parents house and we'd have a, a weekend of just chopping and cooking stuff up and mm. getting it into jars. <clears throat> so we haven't done one of those in the last couple of years, but I still, you know, I make sure to, you know, put up tomatoes and make yeah. applesauce and freeze berries and all that stuff every year. So it's always mm. fun to be able to pull that out in the middle of winter. I wanted to also turn to your book that you wrote with Ellie Rauscher. You both put together something very beautiful called 12 Tiny Things, Simple Ways to Live a More Intentional Life. And there's a lot of gems in here. I think of this as a spiritual formation book because it asks a lot of us, it asks a lot of questions that cause reflection and encourage growth. And there are so many places I could jump in and dig in because it's it's just full of good things. But I thought maybe I would just pull into chapter two that you have here. And it's on work, but it's also on practicing the presence. And maybe you can describe a little bit of what that means to you of practicing the presence. And maybe just, we can just unpack a few things from this chapter. Sure. Yep. So our, we have a mantra for each chapter and for work, the mantra is practicing presence is remembering how to live. Mm -hmm. And I think, so um, that came up for me. I wrote a lot of this chapter right after being laid off from a longtime job, mm. which was a really interesting, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. approach to writing a chapter on work because, you know, a lot of times we think, okay, work is the job that I get paid to do. Mm -hmm. So I had to really reframe that um, 
when I was digging into to writing this chapter. And I think a lot of the presence piece came out from having to do that. Um, I think I was able to come to a place where I yeah. said, okay, my work is being present in my life, whatever that means, whatever I'm doing day to day, my work is to be present in it. Yeah. Yeah. Not what you do, but how you are as you're doing the thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then again, of course, for me, the practice of being presence that is often facilitated by going outside that tends to ground me and bring me back to, okay, this is where I am right now. This is where my physical body is mm. <laughs> right now in this moment. Mm. So going outside is always a good way for me to kind of recenter. Yeah. Every single chapter has reflection questions and also a body practice. And I appreciate the embodied aspect to this book and to your way of thinking as we tend to i'm going to speak for myself here but the default in in how i wind up working stays really in my thoughts and in my head and my whole body might be suffering because i'm holding my posture in a really certain way as i work or you know i'm disconnected actually from my embodied self i think it's so powerful that you have body practices in each chapter that kind of takes you out of your your head reading just reading and reading a book and then okay mm -hmm. oh yeah I'm a I'm not just a head I also have a body <laughs> right <laughs> I appreciate that part of it the one for work says at some point in your work day make your neck long and roll your shoulder blades down your back toward your spine so your heart shines out to the world let it be a reminder to bring your full presence who you are to all you do that's powerful I think as writers too, and I'd like to hear what your perspective is on this, is that as writers, we can be idea people and, mm -hmm. and be imagining and, you know, trying to put together something coherent. And it isn't at all necessarily embodied. And we have to, at least for me, remind myself, all oh, right, right, take a deep breath, fill my lungs, stretch my back. Yeah. What's it like for you with writing? Yeah. Oh, I, I get stuck in my head. For sure. <laughs> uh, I think every day I, I have to be like, okay, self, remember <laughs> below your neck, <laughs> move the body around, get outside. Remember you're a, a creature. You know, we yeah. always we talk a lot about remembering your creatureliness. And I think mm -hmm. that is a, that is a big part for me, certainly. And that helps my writing when I can remember that I am, you know, a living, breathing animal. Um, yeah. I think it makes my writing more full that way rather than just being this, this brain <laughs> coming up yeah. with these ideas and trying to make them coherent for other people. Right. It, I think it also creates these bridges of empathy to other humans as other animals, mm -hmm. right? As other yeah. you know creatures, because it's just easy to disconnect from your own body, but from the other bodies that are near yeah. you or important, um, that constant reminding or metanoia, you know, continuing to return and return mm -hmm. um, to who you actually are and who you, who you are in the world and as a being, not as a, right. a thinking or a doing, you know, yeah. organism. You know, all, all creatures, whether they're plants, animals, you know, whatever, we're all, even plants are breathing. You know, I think that right. that's a theme that runs through 12 Tiny Things and a lot of mm -hmm. my other work. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, even if someone has 
totally opposite ideas of what is right and good. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they still have to breathe. So I feel mm-hmm. like that that's the bridge. You know, it's like, you know what, you are opposite of me in every way except this. <laughs> we are both breathing right now and that we can work we can that can help us, you know, figure out how to cross this bridge together. Do you have any poems related to that in related to our breath or related to the body that might be good to read now? Yeah, there's actually there's one in um, Cold Spring Hallelujah called How to Work, and it does incorporate breathing. So that may be a good fit. Awesome. This okay. So how to work? Pretend there's a string attached to your head, pulling toward the ceiling. Roll your shoulders back. Enjoy the crunching sound your shoulder blades make after a morning of hunching forward. Go outside for a few minutes if you can spare the time, perhaps even keeping company with birds and trees and other wild things. Take a long breath deep into your abdomen. Hold it for three seconds and breathe out. Repeat as often as necessary. When you feel out of tune, Check in with your physical body and the body of the earth. Feel the air going in and out of your nose. Remember, you are a living, breathing human animal. That's good. A poem and a really beautiful assignment, too. Yeah, a spiritual practice. Oh, I love it. In the back of the chapter that we were just speaking of, chapter two, you have reflection questions, and I'm just going to read them out so people get a sense of what you ask what you ask readers to do in this book, 12 Tiny Things. It says, what does work mean to you? Visualize a great day doing your typical day-to-day work. What makes it feel good? What gives it meaning and purpose? How do you tend to show up in your workday? What makes you feel satisfied with your day-to-day. How do you stay present at work? What helps you focus on one thing at a time? What would be different if you felt present and rooted in the here and now, no matter what was on your task list? What reminds you that you are alive? What is another tiny thing that could work to cultivate presence at work? I guess for that last one, I'd like to ask that for you. What is another tiny thing that could work to cultivate presence at work? What helps you with that? That is, for me, a big one is starting my day offline. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, making sure I don't go right to email or right to answering messages or the phone or whatever it is. I start my day with analog things. Um, also drinking a glass of water first thing that's another thing that really helps me Mm. it's kind of I guess it's another one of those analog things (laughs) you can't drink a digital (laughs) glass of water (laughs) (laughs) starting with analog and then you know I think too remembering posture Mm. um, getting up from the desk periodically the technology and the devices in our lives are are to serve us they're not supposed to master us Mm -hmm. right right Um, it, and it's, boy, if you don't put your foot down, 
<laughs> it's, forget it. Yeah. yeah. Well, like you said, disrupting the pattern, you know, my work as a health coach, I talk about that mm. all day, every day is disrupting mm. the patterns that you want to get out of. Yeah. And I think for me, one of the biggest or most effective disruptors when it comes to not getting sucked into that digital fray is keeping my devices downstairs in the basement in my office with the door closed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, like if I leave them upstairs on the counter, it, yeah. I don't even notice when I pick it up, you know, right, it's just right. a habit, yeah. you know, before lying, I'm like, oh, I just picked this thing up 10 minutes ago. What happened? Yay. <laughs> yeah. Tell so, me what's up. Yeah. Well, so I have this, I have a poetry book first, so that one, that one's done. It just needs to be typeset and all that stuff. But this next book is, uh, the working title is Collisions of Earth and Sky. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm still kind of wrestling with, okay, what is my, what is my elevator pitch here? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it, it's very much a, a self-inquiry tool. And, you know, it has a lot of questions, like 12 Tiny Things does. Um, it, it's like an extraction of the nature chapter in 12 Tiny Things. Oh, um, Yeah. And, but it, it's a lot about growing up um, in South Dakota, my relationship with the prairie, the Great Plains. Yeah. And just some of the tensions that come along with that, you know, as a white person growing up mm -hmm. on stolen land, it, it incorporates right. a little bit of that, not too much, um, but it's part of the story. Mm -hmm. So it has to be in there. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, kind of wrestling with what that means and nature connection and using or allowing nature to be kind of like an ally in unpacking things, um, just kind of self-discovery kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So it's very much a work in progress. <laughs> um, but but I, I, I'm excited about it. I think it'll be it'll be a lot of work, but it'll be it'll be good, too. Yeah, so part of part of the book is about is about I went out to Pine Ridge um, mm -hmm. three or four summers growing up, um, mm -hmm. kind of through it was it was mission trip kind of stuff, um, and I think that that really opened my eyes um, as a teenager about okay what what's going on like something's not right here mm -hmm. <laughs> in the world, um, mm -hmm. and just really gave me a, an appreciation for the culture of the Lakota people. Mm -hmm. um, so there weren't a lot of Native folks in my community growing up. Um, mm -hmm. I, I grew up on the eastern side of the state, mm -hmm. um, and Pine Ridge is up in the west. Yeah. Um, so most of my experiences growing up were, were with Lakota folks. Um, mm -hmm. There are, of course, many reservations around where I did grow up. Um, and my mom actually did a lot of work through her. Um, she was a university administrator for years and years, and she did a lot of work with some of the um, the native colleges and things. I was wondering if there's any other poems that you thinking you would like to read and we could close after a few of those. Okay. Um, I have one that I, I like a lot. It's in my new collection about joy kind of speaks to the times so I can read that if you like. A complicated joy. What a complicated joy it is to witness light spilling into a new day when the blood shed yesterday 
is not yet dry. What a complicated joy it is to absorb warm sun on your face when the rest of you feels numb with grief. What a complicated joy it is to notice a butterfly's delicate beauty, keeping company with overripe fruit, entering a season of decay. What a complicated joy it is to be wholly alive on this hurting earth, each day a new union of sunlight and shadow. Talk a little bit about what some of the poetry in your new poetry book is about, like the title and and what are some themes that you have there? Yeah, so the, the working title, the hardest thing to pick a title, but the yeah. title right now is Slouching Toward Radiance. Mm. The subtitle is A Day in the Life of You, Me, and God. Mm. So oh. it is, the book is structured kind of, over the course of a day. So the sections are dawn, high noon, mid-afternoon, golden hour, and dusk. Mm. Um, And so like, for example, high noon, those poems are all what I would call heart advice and suggestions. Mm. And mid-afternoon, those poems are more stormy and it's called storms and surrender. Um, and golden hours, blessings, and invitations. So, yeah, it's kind of a walk through a metaphorical day, just weaving in themes of nature and loss and joy and, you know, all the things that a human can experience over the course of a day. Yeah. What's the golden hour? What time? That is like, if, if you're a photographer or a videographer, it's that kind of that golden light Oh, just right. before the sun starts to go down and everything just looks kind of magical. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard it called that. I don't know why, but yeah, you're right. The light's totally different and maybe more yellowy. And um, that was, that was one of the most amazing things that I noticed in New Mexico. There was the hill, um, Sandia Hill, I believe it. I mean, it's a mountain, but it was, in the morning, kind of whitish blue, and then it moved to a deeper indigo, then purple, then it got uh, pink and yellow. I mean, it was just the whole day through, it was a show. It was a glorious showing off of light and land. Mm -hmm. And the golden hour was was magical. That was incredible. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. It's like it uncovers just the the beauty of the ordinary things. Yeah, right. I mean, that's, I guess that's, in a nutshell, that's what this new poetry collection is about. It's about finding renewal in the ordinary kind of dance of living. I guess it's probably a good time to sort of wind down, but I wanted to make sure that you can tell people some of the best places to find you. Probably Mm -hmm. your website is one, but do you connect in in any other ways online? So, yep, website, and then, so for 12 Tiny Things, there it's the number 12tinythings.com. That's mm. another place that uh, you can find me. And then um, Instagram, what am I on Instagram? I, I'm Heidi Seabar, at mm. Heidi Seabar. Okay. And then on Facebook, I am Heidi Bar Writer. 
This has been really lovely, but now I wish I we lived closer because I yeah. <laughs> like to uh, come over and have a, a tomato from the garden or something and talk yeah. with you more in depth. But yeah. um, thank you so much for sharing some time with us. And uh, is there any final things you'd like to say, any nugget or any place you'd like to show people where they might be able to go? Um, well, yes, find me online. And then there's also a group, I should mention that for 12 Tiny Things. And if you go to the website, you'll find the Facebook community group. And that's full of people from all over the world. So it's really a fun oh, wow. place to, to connect and talk about kind of some of those tiny intentional practices. And we also recently released a workbook that goes with 12 Tiny Things. So for folks who like to dig deeper into some of the ideas and kind of bullet journal and things like that, that's a good resource as well. Wow. And so that is a companion to the book. Does it follow right. with the chapters or is it, it like does. It? Yep. It's broken okay. into 12 sections. Mm -hmm. oh, very good. Yeah. Well, Heidi, thank you so much. I would love to have you back on. It's always an open door anytime you'd like to come on. Well, that's great. I can leave you with one tiny poem if you'd like. Wonderful. Perfect. So this is the last poem in the new collection. Last one standing. Life is part trauma, part triumph. And a good life happens when triumph is the last one standing. Fiddle in hand, drum beating, voice lifted in song at the joy of another morning. <laughs>